You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction and read by Tansy Maynard. Our current serial is Musketeer Space, Chapter 10. The Weight of the Solar System Dana's head was full of turmoil as she left Madame Sue. A royal scandal was the last thing she wanted to get mixed up in. But if this was a chance to get one over on Rosne Bloody Cho, it was worth the risk. She wanted to ask the advice of Athos and the others. Surely they knew more about securing a royal audience than Dana did. But all three of them were flying border patrol today, and this wasn't the sort of conversation to have over comms. No, Dana was going to have to handle this herself. It'd make a good story when she joined her friends for supper later. The best part about this affair was the ship. Madame Sue had a decade-old scout venturer stored in the civilian dock and was happy for Dana to fly it down to Luna Palais rather than catching a lift on official transport. The thought of having a helm wrapped around her skull again was enough to make Dana sing and dance. She missed having her own ship so much. If only she'd hung on to the poor old buttercup. Dana made her way through rows and rows of ships on Edoc, searching for the code that matched the key pass Madame Sue had given her. It wasn't here. She was too far along and would have to go back a block or two. As she spun around, she saw a ship that she recognised. No, it couldn't be that. There were plenty of moth fighters, even those of the very latest generation. The fact that it looked exactly like the moth that Dana had docked next to on Myung Station meant nothing. Only, the closer she got, the more she felt certain that it was the same ship. Dana heard voices and backed up into the shadow of a tricked-out vintage sabre with flames painted across its hull. There was Rosne Cho. The pilot with the long black hair stepped out from the moth speaking into a clamshell tablet that was the same colour as her rose-coloured flight suit. Don't speak to me like that, she said furiously. Of course he's fucking secure. You're the one playing mind games. Are the friends going to prevent our target getting to the moon, or what? Dana heard another voice, low and male and melodic, coming out of the clamshell. With friends like these, who needs enemies? That's not an answer, my lord. Never had a formal title been spoken with such heavy sarcasm. You put your pieces in place, sweetness, and I'll worry about mine. Rosne snapped the clamshell closed, gave a short scream of frustration, and then strode away from her moth, heading for the sphere lifts. She made another call before she got there this time through a comm stud in her wrist. Foy, check in with me in three hours on the Stellar Concourse. I don't fucking care what I said about your wreck hours. Right. The sphere lift hissed open and swallowed her up. Dana breathed in and out. She had no idea what any of that meant. Milord. Was that the same Milord she had seen with Roe on Myung Station? the pretty man who looked too posh to be in a dive like that. 
They were in this together, whatever it was. Her eyes turned back to the beautiful gleaming moth. Was Madame Sue's abducted husband right here under her nose? Dana didn't dare try to break in. Who knew what kind of security layers were built into a ship like that? Planchet might knew a trick or two. The kid was handy with electronics. First things first, Dana had promised Madame Sue she would fly to Paris and get a message directly to the prince consort. She had time to check on the ship before she made a decision about the moth. Dana tracked back along the dock until she found the right row for the Sioux Scout Venturer. As she approached the right zone, Dana felt her senses prickle. She leaned casually into a recharging station, as if checking the instructions, and glanced around. No one in sight, and yet... She could see the Sioux Scout, squat and greenish-grey on its dock platform. There, caught in the glare of the flat lighting in this area, she saw two shadows beneath it that were shaped like people. Not just people by their stance. Red hammers, perhaps? Or Rose less official allies? There was a military feel about them. The Sioux family had certainly got the attention of the wrong people. Dana backed the hell up. She kept walking until she was at the sphere lifts, then let them suck her away from the civilian dock. She didn't breathe properly until she was back in one of the shopping plazas, surrounded by people. How the hell could she get off Paris Satellite discreetly? She didn't have a ferry shift until tomorrow. Her brand new comm stud, the one she'd been issued with, along with her mecca when she signed the contract with Commandant Essart, chimed suddenly with an unfamiliar code. Dana stopped at the nearest set of privacy booths and slipped into a soundproof cubicle before accepting the call. Hello? Planchet's face, all worry and freckles, appeared in the air before her. Are you alone? Yes, what's all this about? Dana remembered the scout. You have to tell Madame Sue. She's been arrested, said Planchet, looking like she was about to cry. Four red hammers turned over her rooms. They took her away. I hid under the clothes printer, waiting for them to leave, but they didn't. I mean, two of them left with her, but the others are still here. I don't know what to do. Dana thought with regret of her own room, which she couldn't reach without going through Madame Sue's workshop. Can you get out of there without them seeing you? There's the heating ducts, Planchet considered. Do you think they'll arrest me? I don't know. Better not find out. Meet me. Dana gave Planchet the address of the apartment Athos shared with his Engie, Grimaud. Wait in the bar next door if no one's home. I'll be there as soon as I can. She hesitated. Do you know how to bust the security of the latest generation of moth fighter? If I download the manual, Planchet sounded delighted at the challenge. I'll do that before I leave. Only if you can do it silently, Dana urged. Don't take any risks. She made her way across town, heading for the district where Athos lived, worrying all the way. She found Planchet happily ensconced at Grimaud's kitchen counter, eating a second helping of freshly printed pie. Thanks for looking after her, said Dana. Grimaud took off her headphones. You're looking for Conrad Sue. 
It was the longest sentence Dana had ever heard her say. Dana looked accusingly at Planchet, who shrugged with her mouthful. She asked! Do you know, Sue? Dana asked, still trying to recover from the fact that Grimaud was acknowledging her existence. Grimaud rolled her eyes. Number 18, she said. Emerald Knights. That makes no sense at all. No. Wait, the Emerald Knights? Are we talking about Zero-G Team Joust? Dana said finally. Grimaud smiled with all her teeth. The game we conquered space to play, she said in a tone that bordered on the religious. It was near the end of the patrol shift and Grimaud was due down on Crown Dock to meet Athos and the parry riposte. Before she left, she set Dana and Planchet up with a recording of the most famous zero-G team joust game of the previous year. Thanks to Porthos, Dana had taken an interest in team joust. Since her arrival on Paris Satellite, she knew who most of the fleur-de-lis teams were, at least. Prince Alec of Oster played in the fleur-de-lis Zero League, which pushed up the Regents' popularity rating something shocking. Alec was fit, fashionable and fanciable. Dana had seen a few clips of his games. Even in the unflattering padded armour, he was an unforgettable figure with brilliant emerald eyes and matching hair. Right now, she took the time to observe his teammates. Conrad Sue was not just the prince's tailor, but his jousting partner, along with a feisty female pole defence called Laurel Slaughter, who had joined the team recently. They were the Emerald Knights, one of the most popular fleur-de-lis squads in Paris. Everyone knows about this game, said Planchet. The final match of the season, last joyeux. Chevreuse, their previous pole defence, she sprained her ankle, and the prince called in a celebrity sub at the last minute. Drove the audience wild, and the bookies too. She nodded at the screen. The sub was tall and statuesque, with a wide white smile and reddish-brown skin that matched her long frizz-curled hair. Even beneath the padding you could see the muscle on her from shoulder to thigh. She'd never played Zero League before, not officially, but everyone knew who she was, said Planchet. Dana watched the helmeted woman as she bounced back and forth in the air before the cans, a large pole tilted in one hand. She's famous, she hazarded. She's the Duchess of freaking Buckingham! Planchet's mouth was full of the sandwich Grimaud had made for her before she left. Apparently her freckled face cried out to be fed. Georgiana Villiers, Buck to her friends, and the media feeds, Ambassador of Valour. She nodded at the screen like a demented squirrel, still chewing. Gossip note exploded when it was announced. Buck's got 11 million followers, and they were fan-tracking the game like crazy. I don't know what most of those words mean, said Dana. She's popular then. The Duchess of Buckingham. Madame Sue had claimed she was implicated in an affair with Prince Alec. Brilliant game, said Planchet, skipping to the highlight montage. There's Conrad, Madame's husband. He lives at the palace. The Emerald Knights celebrated their win with the age-old sporting traditions of bro-hugs, rude gestures and the slapping of butts. 
Sue was stocky where Prince Alec was tall, but he had the same combination of silver scales over golden skin that marked him as a native of Oster. His hair was bright blue, contrasting with the prince's green. He had to be at least 25 years younger than his wife. Go, Madam Sue, said Dana, impressed. Her taste in men was better than her taste in fashion and wall decor. The cam feed scanned the crowd, capturing the hubbub of the Emerald Knight supporters. Slow it, Dana said sharply. Planchet did so and gave her an odd look as the audience footage crawled to a near standstill. Dana had spotted her friends, the three inseparable musketeers. She hadn't realised any of them, but Porthos cared about fleur-de-lis. They sat together in a tangle right behind the player's bench. There weren't three of them, but four. A woman with bright purple hair, an emerald knight's jacket and fierce green face paint was cuddled between them her head thrown back against Athos's shoulder. When she saw the cam passed by, she screwed up her face and roared directly into the lens. Who was she? Dana heard a throat clearing and looked up to see Athos in his doorway, regarding her with that flat, unblinking gaze he often used to unnerve people. Uh, we're watching a game, she said. So I see. Athos dropped his heavy jacket at the door and headed for the kitchen corner of the apartment. Turn it off, Grimaud. His engi appeared behind him, mouth pressed shut. There was an angry tension between them. Don't tell her what to do, Dana objected. Turn it off, Athos roared. Grimaud gave him a filthy look and turned off the vid. She gestured for Planchet to join her, and they went into the other room. Are you drunk already? Dana demanded. You've only just got off duty. Believe me, I am sober, Athos snarled. If you'll excuse me, I plan to do something to rectify that. He began searching his cupboards. Grimaud, where's the good whiskey? Silence from the other room. Conrad Sue has been abducted, Dana said quietly. Athos stopped for a moment. I see. Not overly surprising. Not surprising. He's close to the prince consort. Kidnapping is practically part of the job description. I'm sure he'll be returned quickly enough. He's been gone three days. Athos located the bottle he'd been looking for, wedged behind the food printer. That is troubling, he admitted. The anger had dissipated now. His wife suspects the cardinal's involved through an agent called... Well, yes, Athos said patiently. I imagine so. Dana could have hit him out of sheer frustration. She watched as he poured several measures of whiskey into two glasses, drank one, added ice to the second, and wrapped a code into the food printer. Don't you think someone should do something? Dana demanded while the printer hummed to life. Athos poured a fresh drink for himself in the glass without ice. This is palace politics. I have been playing this game since before you were born. You would have been ten. I started young. You don't want to get involved, D'Artagnan. The printer chimed, and Athos removed a roast beef sandwich from it. 
He picked up the whiskey glass with ice and the sandwich and went and rapped on the inner door of the apartment. Grimaud opened it after a moment and glowered at him. I am very sorry for shouting, said Athos, sounding sincere. He gave her the peace offerings. Grimaud took the plate and glass and closed the door again. Now, where were we? Athos asked as he returned to Dana, and more importantly, to his drink. You were about to explain to me what happened at a certain fleur-de-lis match last Joyeux, where the Duchess of Buckingham played on Prince Alex's team, said Dana. He gave her a dirty look. I was not. Come on, Athos, you were there. I saw you on the cam. If something happened that night, you know about it. Athos sighed. You have no idea what you're getting into here, little one. I'm not a child. It was a bad joyeux for all of us. He met her eyes. Some nights are better forgotten. I agree with you, Dana said calmly, right up to the point that it comes back to bite you on the ass. He regarded her steadily for a moment and then had another swallow of whiskey. There are two different forms of team joust. Sank foil and fleur de lis. You know the difference? We get sports broadcasts all the way out on the rim, you know. In truth, Dana had paid little attention to Team Joust before Paris. She knew that Sank foil was melee style, five jousters per team, and it was brutal. Fleur de lis was three per side, played in the sequence of one on one. Until the final melee spa, it was considered the more civilised game because fewer people got seriously damaged while playing. That game, the one you were watching, was the fleur de lis showdown of the century. The Emerald Knights versus the Night Witches for the final. But Chevreuse busted her ankle three days before the game. Dana nodded. Chevreuse was their third teammate. Athos's tone was almost fond. Former Minister of Public Relations used to give the Cardinal absolute hell on the Palace Council. Nice legs, excellent pole defence, and just good friends with Aramis, since you're after all the dirt. Dana certainly knew enough to understand what just good friends with Aramis meant. She reached for the remote that Grimaud had left behind, and called up the image of the cam panning the audience. Is that her? The woman with the purple hair and Emerald Knight's colours, pulling a horrid face into the cam feed, then laughing. That's her. She insisted we all go to the game. We were playing nice and waiting to see if her latest breakup with Aramis was going to stick. I had to carry the wretched woman to her seat. Athos didn't sound like he'd minded much. Chevreuse, Conrad and Alec were unbeaten that season. She practically threw herself off a balcony when she realised she wouldn't be able to play the match against the Night Witches. But did I mention Chev was a political genius? Dana couldn't believe she was jealous of this woman, who had been friends with the Musketeers, her Musketeers, before she came to Paris. No, you didn't. She figured out a loophole in the rules. If anyone subbed for her in that match, it wouldn't count as the same team, and they'd lose the invincible claim for the season but the Duchess of Buckingham was an ambassador. There's a legal twist that allowed her to take on the duties of any member of the Palace Council, as if she were that person. 
Contracts are sacred in Paris. Athos's mood had certainly warmed up. He poured Dana a drink of her own. Brilliant move. So Buck took Chev's place. They beat the Night Witches 6-3. And the rest is history. Dana leaned in. And? There is no and. A few minutes ago you were furious I was bringing all this up. The twist ending to the story is their team won and everyone was happy. I don't buy it, Athos. Something happened, he admitted. There was a party afterwards. Things got out of hand. Sometime in the early hours. Chevreuse asked me to delete some security footage as a favour to her, which I did. I assume it had something to do with Prince Alec, but I didn't ask. His blue eyes blazed at Dana. Even if I knew anything, I wouldn't tell you. We serve the crown first. Crown first, Dana agreed quietly. The regents was informed about the incident. Buck was sent on a tour of honour with the expectation she not return to Paris during her contract as ambassador. Her time must be nearly up about now. She'll be heading home to Valor any day. As for Chevreuse, Athos sighed, looking tired. The cardinal had been trying to get rid of her for years. Chevreuse has been living in exile ever since. Artemisia, I think. Artemisia was one of the cities in orbit around the ocean world of truth. Dana had visited there once. A nice enough place, but no Paris satellite. She wasn't jealous of Chevreuse anymore. Athos reached for the bottle of whiskey again. Those are the stakes you're playing for, sweetness, when you get involved in palace politics. I don't think you'd better drink any more, Dana said. Not if we're going to rescue Conrad Sue from the Cardinal. A smile played over Athos's mouth. It looked different with the beard so close-shaven. I don't believe I volunteered. Madame Sue isn't my landlady. Dana leaned in. Are you going to make me say it? Don't, D'Artagnan. It was a teasing voice, and nothing like the unexpected anger that had flown out of him when he first arrived. All for one! Athos hissed and set the bottle down. Really? You're seriously pulling this? You're not even a... And one for all, finished Dana. He glared at her for a long time. I'll call the others. Good plan. Thank you for listening to Sheep Might Fly. Uh, you can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR or at Sheep Might Fly. Find me on Facebook at TansyRR Books. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of cool rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. This is Spellcracker Week. Uh, the third book in my Teacup Magic series of Regency fantasy cozy mystery novellas. Uh, the third book is coming out this week on Wednesday. That's Spellcrackers Honeymoon. If you haven't read the Teacup Magic series, the first two books have been serialized here on the podcast. The first one is Tea and Sympathetic Magic. And you can pick that novella up just about anywhere. Uh, if you 
haven't pre-ordered yet, then uh, there's still time to get in. Okay, I will see you next week for more Musketeers.